You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. say, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the great revelations that God gave him, the great call to ministry that God gave him, God allowed that thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. And some of us, God's not going to take away the pain. Some of us, it's a physical infirmity and God's not going to take it away. Because if he took it away, you wouldn't be as humble. It proves our genuineness as children of God. Romans 8 says that we're co-heirs with Christ if, in, if indeed we share in his sufferings. Humility is important to God. He can use us for His glory to build His kingdom when we're not focused on ourselves. In today's message, Pastor Danny reminds us of the Apostle Paul's writing regarding his suffering from a thorn in the flesh. We don't exactly know what Paul's ailment was, but we know that God never took it away. Do you have a thorn in the flesh? It could be literal or figurative, something that God has for you to keep you grounded and humble. Focus on Him and your task at hand. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 with today's edition of The Living Word. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, let me say something right at the outset. I've never suffered like the person God used to pen these words we're reading. Peter. Peter, of course, was a coward. When things heated up and Jesus was arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter would even deny that evening that he even knew the Lord. But Peter, once confronted with his failure, repented and uh, became what his name that Jesus gave him suggests, he became a rock. He became rocky for heaven. Jesus would predict that when Peter got older, 
as a follower of Jesus Christ, that he would be led where he did not want to go. They would dress him in a way that he would not want to be dressed. In other words, he would die a martyr's death. That's exactly what happened to Peter. Uh, so Peter, the other apostles, I've never suffered like them. I don't really look to suffer like them. Who would? But suffering, that's the subject. And suffering in a Christian life, while it is relative, while it is relative, every true believer, no matter what culture you live in, will suffer. Let me give you something even beyond the text, but it, it fits biblically with suffering in the will of God. And that's what we're talking about, suffering in the will of God. Just being a Christian worth my salt, um, every day is a day of suffering. What do I mean? Paul the Apostle said, I die every day. Jesus said, you can't be my disciple unless you're willing to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. You see, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I have the Holy Spirit living within me. And if you're a Christian, and I'm assuming the majority of us are, be great if all of us are. You still have sin dwelling in the members of your body. I still have desires that are outside of the will of God. Are you with me? Every day, if I'm going to stay in the will of God, I've got to deny myself those desires that would be outside of the will of God. I'm going to stay faithful, if I'm in the will of God, to my marriage. Hey, suffering in the will of God, you may be a Christian in marriage, and your spouse is not, is not fulfilling their part. They're not in the will of God in that sense, and your marriage is not what it should be. But unless you have a clear biblical ground for divorce, guess what? God's will for you to stay in that marriage and suffer and fulfill your vows. Some of you wish you'd skip church today, I know. <laughs> hey, simply not being comfortable in a crowd of unbelievers when, I, when they realize I'm a Christian and then they find out I'm a pastor, I mean, things just change in a meeting. A group of people, when they find out I'm a Christian and then I'm a pastor. That's worse than being just a Christian. <laughs> so suffering, it's relative, but every Christian suffers for the will of God and in the will of God. Now, here's the text. Let, let's go back over real quick, real quick. Just let me throw this at you. Um, don't be surprised at your painful trial. Don't be surprised because it's promised those who would live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's relative, but we're going to suffer. Here's a wonderful, warm, fuzzy verse you want to memorize, Philippians 1.29. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Doesn't that make you feel just warm, fuzzy inside? I mean, it's been granted. God said, I'm going to, I'm going to give this to you. This is good. Thank you, Lord. Rejoice in the privilege of suffering for Christ. The apostles, after Jesus risen uh, back up to the Father... Uh, they were left now to carry on the ministry. They faced the same opposition that put Jesus on the cross. Remember the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the day said, you can no longer speak, proclaim the name of Jesus and speak the resurrection of the dead in Jesus. And they said, well, you judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to obey you or God. I mean, these guys were bold. And they paid for it. Uh, they were beaten. And after they were beaten, it says they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name Jesus. They counted it joy. They rejoiced that they got beaten. I've only been punched. 
four times. And I still, you know the story. I, I, I won't tell it again, but it was interesting. I, I don't know why the guy punched me at the service station, but, but I was teaching that next weekend on Luke, in Luke on turn the other cheek. You'll be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Overjoyed. <laughs> Listen to what Paul wrote. Romans 8, 18. I think of this verse. I say this verse to myself regularly. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in, in us. Now, think about the guy who wrote that. I mean, here's a guy. I, I got punched four times at a service station. I was spit on once by a witch after a church service, Calvary Chapel Church service on Sunday night. I felt uncomfortable in a crowd. I've probably been talked at behind my back. Now, there's my list of sufferings for Jesus. Here's a guy. I mean, this guy's getting beat up everywhere he goes. I mean, you talk about a guy who suffered. He died a martyr's death. And yet he says, I consider our present suffering aren't even worth comparing. I don't want to meet Paul for at least 10,000 years in heaven because I feel about that big. Hey, Paul. Paul, Paul said, huh, well, so what did you suffer for Jesus? Well, I got spit on by a witch. <laughs> oh, you poor soul. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that's over with now. Commit yourself to your faithful creator. That's exactly what Jesus did, First Peter, when he suffered. He made no threats. He committed himself to him who judges justly. Remember, he prayed in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, yours be done. And as he hung on the cross, he said, Father, I'm yours. Committed himself to the Father. Now, here's, here's the toughest one for me, for me. Here's what the text said, continue to do good in the midst of the suffering. And listen, we're going to suffer sometimes. You're not going to understand why God's allowing us to suffer. Paul said he came to times in his Christian life he was perplexed. He says sometimes he was struck down. And the challenge in those times is to continue to do good. Joseph is a great example to me. Remember Joseph, 17 years old, 17-year-old young man, hated by his brothers, sold into Egypt, becomes a slave, owned by a guy named Potiphar. And one of the first things he has to suffer and deny himself in is Potiphar's wife tries to seduce this 17-year-old young uh, teenager, Joseph. He's far away from home. He's been wrong. God gave him two dreams that mean the same thing. He's going to be exalted beyond his wildest dreams. But what God didn't tell him is between the dream and the fulfillment of the dream, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of self-denial. And there'd be people, there are guys all over the world that would look at Joseph's situation, this woman throwing herself at him day after day, and they'd be thinking, I want to be in Joe's sandals. I've been looking for this all my life. And he denied himself. He denied himself and he resisted to the point that one day she grabs him. He leaves as he flees his garment in her hand. And his, her husband came home and she said, that Hebrew slave tried to rape me. And, of course, her husband believes her. She's lying. Joseph gets thrown into prison and he continues to do good. He becomes the best prisoner that prison ever saw. In years of suffering, years of suffering, but he continued to do good. He committed himself to his faithful creator. He just trusted God. I don't know if you realize all the, 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 the benefits the Bible lays out suffering in the will of God. There are tons of them. Let me give you some. Benefits of suffering in the will of God. One, it could open a door for the gospel. Paul said to the Galatians, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. 
I had a tremendous privilege two nights ago. My older brother sent me an email. A lady that lives in the apartment complex that he lives in, elderly lady that's become a close friend of his. And my brother has a heart of compassion. He reaches out to people like this. Uh, he really, he always has. And he sent me an email and said he had just had her sent. I guess she got no family around and a nursing home near the church building here for hospice care. Looks like she's dying. And he asked if I had the time, would I go by and just see her and maybe pray for her? So my wife and I went two nights ago and visited this lady. I got to lead her to Christ. Hey, I got to lead her to the Lord. It was tremendous. That's very odd one because it wasn't my sickness that opened the door. It was her sickness that opened the door for her to be saved. It's wonderful. It produces perseverance and through perseverance, character, maturity, and hope. Now, let me read you the James portion right here near 1 Peter. Here's what James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. By the way, if you're the real deal, uh, you may be struck down, you may be perplexed, but you'll never be destroyed. Those who are the real deal, even though they may stumble in faith, they'll always get back up. That's what the Bible declares. It's called the perseverance of the saints. Through the suffering, we'll come out of the other side. If you're the real deal, you'll come out the other side. It maintains humility. Paul the apostle, while he prayed for so many people, I mean, he prayed and he saw people healed. Uh, one guy, remember, as Paul had a brief time with this church and he's talking all night, he's just continues to talk because he knows he's got to leave the next day. And uh, one guy's on the fourth story of this window, and he's sitting in the window listening to Paul. And, of course, there were candles in there, and that, that helped to, to, to do this. The guy falls asleep. His name was Eutychus. And if you know the story, Eutychus fell four floors down, landed, and he's dead. And Paul was Paul's responsible for killing the guy. He talked too long. Hope nobody dies today. I'm just going to go about 45 minutes. And uh, nobody's in the balcony or over up high enough. You can fall. Uh, but Paul goes down and prays for this guy, and God raises him from the dead. Amazing. <laughs> Paul's probably saying, thank you, Lord. I killed him. Thank you for raising him from the dead. But here's a guy who prayed for people, saw miraculous things. But he goes to the Lord because he has this thorn in the flesh, and he prays three times. Three times, Lord, take it away. And God says, no. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul would say, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the great revelations that God gave him, the great call to ministry that God gave him, God allowed that thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. And some of us, God's not going to take away the pain. Some of us, it's a physical infirmity, and God's not going to take it away. Because if he took it away, you wouldn't be as humble. It proves our genuineness as children of God. Romans 8 says that we're co-heirs with Christ, if, in, if indeed we share in his sufferings. Peter says it very clearly. All these trials you're suffering, that they prove, they prove because you persevere through them that you're really a child of God. Proves your genuineness. It enhances our fellowship. This is wonderfully mysterious. Wonderfully mysterious. You're going to relate to this. If you've been saved any time at all, the times I have felt closest to the Lord have been times of pain and suffering. Some of the times I've felt closest to the Lord have been times of pain and suffering. 
There's a wonderful mystery there. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. There's a fellowship there you, you, you just won't have without the pain. It's wonderfully mysterious. It brings God's blessing. 1 Peter 4, 14, we read it. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Here's what that means. Uh, you are heaven's hero. You're not the world's hero, but heaven looks down and says, you're my Rocky. You're my Rocky. I'm impressed with you. You get God's blessing. And then one more. The willingness to suffer keeps me from being lukewarm. We read that at the first part of chapter 4 of Peter. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. I mentioned when we went through that, a very smart preacher, commentator, much smarter than me, but I strongly disagree with him in him suggesting that that simply means that when you die as a Christian bodily, your struggle with sin is over. That's not what it means. It can't because verse 2 says, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. And the implication, as we studied it, remember, is once you get serious enough that you're willing to suffer and you step across that threshold and you really put your life on the line for Jesus, you're no longer wishy-washy. You're no longer on the fence. And that willingness to suffer keeps me from being lukewarm in my Christian life. Now, let me read you something from our friend Daniel Henderson's book, Transforming Prayer. And please understand, this is so practical, and, and we all are naturally like this, including me. He says, our prayer list can easily become so saturated with our desires for ease, comfort, convenience, and accomplishment that the goal of God's glory becomes obscured. Our human tendency to avoid pain, loss, and difficulty can dilute our passion for God's glory. I know that. Because the vast majority of prayer requests that we get as a church. Now, don't take this negatively. This is just human nature, even for the real born-again saint. Is when you're sending in a prayer request for the surgery, pray that it goes well. Pray that you heal quickly. I mean, nobody sends in a prayer request and says, pray that it really goes bad and it takes me forever to heal. Nobody does that. When you're, when you're praying for somebody else, pray that they have minimal pain. We get that a lot, minimal pain. Now, that's just natural. That's just natural. We're going to pray that way. Let me read the, the, what Oswald Chambers left us before he went to glory. One tremendous statement that he made. Let me read it. Here it is. To choose to suffer means something is wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. You've got to screw loose if you do. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. That's a great statement. Anybody that chooses suffering, you, I ain't hanging out with you. You got something wrong. You, you're delusional. I mean, you, you're something, you need counseling. <laughs> now, let me tell you a story. Martin Luther was a German monk and a Catholic priest. He was the man responsible for what we call the Protestant Reformation. He was born into Roman Catholicism. His dad wanted him to be a lawyer. He was studying to that end, but 
as a young man studying to be a lawyer, uh, he went through a terrible thunderstorm, a literal thunderstorm. Uh, lightning strike narrowly missed him. He thought he was going to die, and so he prayed, and in his prayer, he made a vow to God. He said, God, if you get me through this thunderstorm, I will become a monk. God got him through the thunderstorm, and to his father's displeasure, he fulfilled his vow. Martin Luther, instead of becoming a lawyer, became a monk. As a young monk, he was driven by fears of God's wrath, fears of hell, and a need to gain personal assurance that he was saved, that he was saved. In 1511, he moved to Wittenberg to earn his doctorate in theology. He immersed himself deeply in the scriptures, especially the letters written by the apostle Paul. And it was especially those letters that God revealed to Martin Luther that salvation was based solely on the grace of God through the merits of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. It was a free gift, could not be bought, could not be earned. Martin Luther, so convinced of this truth, began to teach against the Catholic Church's practice of selling what they called indulgences. And selling these indulgences, they would teach that if you buy an indulgence, uh, you could get a reduced punishment for your sin. You could buy indulgences for loved ones that had died, and they could get a reduction of punishment for their sins. Maybe even buy them out of purgatory through the indulgence. They taught that if you got a big enough indulgence, you could actually be forgiven of all your sins. That's what they were teaching. And they were raising all kind of money through selling these indulgences. A lot of people buying them because if you can buy your way you know, out, of, out of hell, great. Well, Martin Luther began to teach against the church's practice. On October 31st, 1517, nailed his now famous 95 Thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg. This thesis challenged the Catholic Church's selling of indulgences and also outlined the biblical doctrine of justification by grace through faith alone. Luther was warned by the cardinals of Rome to recant his position, but he refused, and he said, unless somebody can show me scripturally where my position is wrong, no, I will not recant. So in January of 1521, Luther was officially excommunicated by the Pope from the Catholic Church. Two months later, he was ordered to appear before Emperor Charles V in Worms, Germany. A devoted friend named George Spallatin sent Luther a personal message. Don't go to Worms. Because if you do, you may end up like John Huss. How many of you have never heard the name John Huss? Never heard the name John Huss. John Huss was a Bohemian Catholic priest. His original name was Hussenek from the village that he was born in. He decided to change his name to shorten it to Huss, so John Huss. Huss means the goose. That became his nickname. They called him the goose. John Huss, 100 years before Martin Luther, taught that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, not the pope, and that salvation is in Christ alone through the grace of God and the merits of Jesus Christ. He was, if you will, a pre-Reformation reformer. You ever heard the phrase, he cooked his goose, or I'm going to cook your goose, or phrases like that? You've heard that phrase, right? Yeah? We get that from John Huss. Why? He would not recant. He continued to stand for truth, and they burned him at the stake. And someone overheard him say before he died, these words, you are now going to burn a goose, but in a century you will have a swan which you can neither roast 
nor boil. That became prophetic of 100 years later, Martin Luther shows up on the scene. Martin Luther, because of John Huss's prophecy, was referred to by many as the swan, even by Martin Luther himself. Today on The Living Word, Pastor Danny Hodges has been teaching through a series in the book of 1 Peter. Peter was a disciple of Jesus who grew to understand what living like Christ was really all about. Living like Jesus means standing out. It means not fitting in with the crowd. It means setting yourself apart from the ways of the world and seeking the Word of God. Here at The Living Word, we understand how strange this might seem to those who don't know Christ. But what better way for them to experience Him than through you? We pray that you keep tuning in to this series to learn truth that's revealed in God's Word. We also pray that as you grow in Him, the people around you will come to know Jesus in a profound way. Would you be willing to pray for us here at The Living Word as well? As our ministry grows, we want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and foremost. We're constantly in need of His guidance, so please pray that we'd recognize His voice and direction. Thank you so much for praying about this. Before we leave you, if you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Just go to ccfstpete.church to get directions and service times. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in again for Pastor Danny's next message right here on The Living Word.